0: Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of October 26th through November the 1st. Hope that you're all doing well out there. I'm recording this today on Friday, October the 23rd, as we are experiencing the first quarter moon. Um, Yeah, some really interesting things I've been studying this week, also. Uh, I've been, on a personal note, I've started a new Uh, scheduled routine where I've been getting up earlier and making more efficient use of my time. And that's been leading to some really interesting revelations. I've been listening to these really interesting um, lectures by Robert Schmidt, who is one of the founders of Project Hindsight. It's a lecture series called Weather and Whence, and he's talking about the differences between modern astrology and Hellenistic astrology. And there's some really cool insights in there, uh, especially with some things with the with the seven traditional planets and with the the Trans-Santurnian outer planets as well. So I want to share a little bit of those insights as we go along in the forecast today. Um, But this week, an overview of what we've got going on for the astrology of the week. Mercury is retrograding back into the sign of Libra this week, into the third decan of Libra. We'll talk about the four of swords with that. Uh, Venus will be changing signs this week. Venus will be moving into her own domicile in the first decan of Libra. So we'll do kind of a a bigger breakdown of Libra and what Venus means within those uh, decanic structures. Um, On Saturday, the 31st, October the the 31st, we have our full moon with the moon opposite the sun at eight degrees of Taurus and Scorpio, respectively. And that full moon will be conjoining uh, Uranus. I almost said the fixed star Uranus because that's kind of how I've been thinking about them lately. Um, But we'll kind of talk about uh, the way that Schmidt talks about Uranus, Um, a little insight to that or a little preview. He thinks of it as a transcendental sun. And I thought that was very, very interesting. So I would like to explore that with you today as well. Uh, So we will also be seeing the sun making its opposition to Uranus uh, at that full moon so it's a it's a very Uranian type of week, um, and uh, Mercury is going to be you know shifting signs and then making a square on Sunday the first to Saturn. A retrograde Mercury will be squaring Saturn at 26 Libra and Capricorn. Um, the only other thing we have going on on Sunday the first is the Sun will be moving into the second decan of Scorpio. Happy Scorpio season, by the way. We we are now uh, firmly in the uh, domicile. The Sun is firmly in the domicile of mars and the scorpio season and uh, don't forget on sunday uh, november the first we will be switching from daylight time uh, or daylight savings time to standard time or eastern daylight time to eastern standard time if you are on the same time zone as i am so that happens at 2 a.m on sunday the first so that's important to remember especially if you're doing astrology okay um so let me talk a little bit about schmidt before i get into the planetary condition report because i thought this was a man i always learn something new when i when i listen to robert schmidt or read any of his work um i was just kind of inspired this week to throw one of his lectures on in my headphones as i was going for a walk as i was apt to do in the the months past but uh, since I've kind of I don't know I feel like it's since the pandemic has started I've been a little bit less efficient with my time and I've been exercising less because we've been going less places and things like that but I really tried to make an effort this week maybe it was Venus and Virgo uh, trying to you know beautify this or my schedule <laughs> or something like that but really tried to make an effort to write out a very detailed schedule as far as, um, what I was doing with my time, each each um hour of the day, and to see if I could really become more productive. And, and that led to me uh getting up earlier, uh doing some some praying and some propitiating of the of the planetary deities around the planetary hour of each particular day. That's something that, that I've done in the past that I was kind of gotten away from. And as I've been reading books like Jeffrey Cornelius Cornelius's Moment of Astrology. Um, I've really started to to think more about my relate my personal relationship with the planets or the diamonds and I think that what, what he's really pointing out to me uh, Cornelius is this um, this participation that we have with astrology and this kind of like uh, and, and Schmidt talks about it and Cornelius touches on this too as the planets representing the the cosmic mind and we're trying as astrologers what we're doing is we're trying to second guess or read the intentions of a cosmic being or of a cosmic consciousness and that can shift and we can petition it we can ask it for help you know it's kind of like the power of prayer on some on some level um and uh that that concept is really interesting to me to play with a little bit more and um i'll tell you what at, when I started doing my planetary propitiations every day, uh, I've just been very energized. Um, I've started doing more exercise and things like that and going for more walks. Um, ch- really, a lot of this started when I put my phone kind of away for the day and, and set out a few hours of the day that where I just did not engage in social media and I didn't pick up my phone. And that's been leading to some real breakthroughs, I think, in, in helping me to refocus so, I would highly recommend um, if you are struggling as I did through some of the, the challenges of having a regular schedule from working from home during this, these very challenging times that we've been going through. Um, I really have found a lot of grace through um, holding myself to some kind of more structured system of time and being the one that holds myself to that standard. When we lose, some of the structural elements of our day and of our time, sometimes we have to create it for ourselves. And I think that um, my understanding of Pluto from uh, Robert Schmidt has been really informing this too. He thinks of Pluto as a transcendental Mercury. Think about that. And just to to flesh out these trans planets outside of the orbit of Saturn, uh, he thinks of Neptune as a transcendental moon. And the interplay between... The sun, which he considers selection and individuation, okay? The animating spirit. I think about this as the one mind. And you can think about this in this kind of hermetic type of um, uh, theoretical construct with the one mind and the one thing. And we have the one thing, I think, is represented by the moon. This is what the substance that form comes, comes into being with. So we've got... The animating spirit, the consciousness that is infusing the moon, okay, is, you know, almost like mating with the moon because they're like consorts, the king and the queen, and bringing things into existence. And we can see this with the, this, the interplay with the sun and the moon, with the, uh, the ability of the reflected light of the sun that is collecting the light of spirit, the light of the sun, to bring things into form. And we, you know, Schmidt was talking about Uranus as the idealized sun, the idealization of the, of humanity, and almost like a gift from the universal mind, and that really plays with uh, the way that Richard Tarnas thought about Uranus as uh, the Promethean planet, a gift from the gods right? A gift of consciousness, a gift of fire, a gift of inspiration. I think sun can be associated with inspiration as well. And Neptune, conversely, is like that dissolving quality where where we're dissolving things back into that base one thing, that base matter that is devoid almost of spirit, right? The devoid of consciousness. It's the It's the dissolving of form that was infused with spirit back to substance. And that's why we feel, I've really been expressing on this show that uh, whenever I have Neptune contacts in my personal chart, I feel tired. I feel like the energy has been drained out of me. The spirit, maybe the animating spirit that that, prompts us to do things is drained away. And that was just such a light bulb moment. And he thinks about, pluto as this intermediary okay mercury which is going back and forth and contesting between this animating spirit and this matter okay this is where we have like communication where we have a a thought turning into speech or into a word or into form or where we have like the communication between things like commerce where we're trying to um schmidt described it as you have this form and this substance, and if you sell enough of it, you will gain rank like the sun in your community. So you're bringing your goods to the to the masses like the sun, and to attain some sort of like uh, selection, okay, some sort of individuation. And um, Pluto is the the oh I don't know like the the aspirational version of that. Uh, the, the he said that, says that these. Transcenternian planets had this disruptive influence on the signs themselves. So they're like these, these other things. You know, He's really adamant they're not sign rulers, which I agree with, um, that they have this disruptive element. So uh, you know, I'm thinking about this week and thinking about uh, what's going on with Saturn and Pluto and with Pluto being in Capricorn and Pluto being in that third decan of Capricorn. And we're, we've been talking about this week uh, with, and in general, we talked last week about Jupiter moving into the third decan of Capricorn. And that Capricorn decan is associated in the, in the uh, thema mundi, okay, and with the tarot, with the four of pentacles. And the four of pentacles talks about the throne of power, okay. So what we are being, we are seeing, being disrupted, and being called into question, and being destabilized on a almost universal level, are positions of power. Governments are being destabilized. Kings are being destabilized. Anybody who has authority or responsibility for others is destabilized right now. We're throwing it into question so that we can eventually uh, infuse the new that wants to come through, right? So we're simultaneously dissolving back into the one thing, okay? This is the plutonic transformation cycle, right? We're, we're p- calling into question the substance that we created before. And, and then that eventually will lead to infusing what is left behind after the fermentation process with something new. And this man, there's just so many light bulbs that are coming around with, uh, with that association. And that's why that, you know, this is something where Pluto isn't something to fear. It's something to to embrace and to say, wow, what are we, what has outlived its purpose and what is dissolving and what needs to be reborn, right? But, but thinking about that as a, I don't know about higher octave, but a, uh, Sort of like a supercharged impersonal Mercury, okay, like, or an impersonal Sun with uh, Uranus, or a universal Sun, or a universal Moon with Neptune. These concepts, they are more in the abstract realm. They're less like planetary wills, which are in the planetary spheres. So if you think about this, I'm going to share my screen for a minute. we're going we're just going to see the chart of the moment here for the week but if you think about these in planetary spheres you've got and i don't want to get too far into this but for example i'm going to draw here we've got here's the earth and then you have the spheres of the planets that surround it and you had the elements here and imagine that these planetary spheres are divided into seven Okay, Seven wills. There's not exactly seven there. But then we have outside of that, the realm of the fixed stars. And then outside of that, the realm of the zodiac. And each of them is more closer to divinity in the uh, platonic imagining of the universe. And you've got the trans planets somewhere kind of out here, right? between the realm of the fixed stars and the realm of the planets. So you can think about them as like trying to interpret universal laws, which we consider with the fixed stars, like things that are you know less negotiable and trying to bring them down and, and bring them into the wills of the planets that express themselves here on the earth. So that is just a little thing that I've been studying that I wanted to share because it was just really, um, I was finding a lot of enthusiasm for those ideas right now. I've been making a lot of notes on this. It's really making me rethink a lot of my assumptions about astrology. I would highly recommend checking out uh, Robert Schmidt's Weather and Whence* if you want a very good introduction to Hellenistic astrology. And you can find these lectures, I believe, they are in the archives of the uh, Association for Young Astrologers. If you sign up to become a member, I think you get instant access to these talks. And it is worth it. I, I think it's like $30 a year to become a member. And then you get access to all these amazing talks that they've done in the past from, from you know, people like Robert Schmidt, Demetra George, Ben Dykes, Chris Brennan. He's, they've got all sorts of good stuff on there. So this is a, a good plug for that. Um, while we're in the midst of doing some plugs, and sometimes I do them at the end of the show, but I'll do them at the beginning here, I am offering a, a special reading on Mercury retrograde right now, at, where we would go to, together and look at Mercury and where it is retrograding and where it is doing that Kazemi moment. I think this is another thing that I'm experiencing right now is, uh, you know, we're, we're heading towards the Kazemi as I record this, and Mercury is in the underworld right now. Uh, having uh, a moment of gnosis with the sun and being reborn. And I'm feeling that right now. I feel like I'm going back in time and reviewing something that I, you know, had thought about in the past, but uh, I'm getting a whole new perspective on it from something that was hidden. And if you want to think about what, what that is, how that is playing out in your particular chart, I'd be happy to, to walk you through that. It's an hour long reading. I'm offering a discounted rate. Uh, with that as well. It's, it is less than my normal hourly rate. And we would look at what it, where Mercury is positioned in your particular natal chart right now, what houses it is providing resources for as well, and what kind of gnosis you may be recovering from the underworld that will come to the light of day as Mercury emerges as a morning star when it becomes visible again in the sky. So uh, that is listed in my uh, book now uh, link. Uh, if you want to check that out, um, yeah, got some. Be it's it's exciting to to have these new kind of like specialized readings as well. I like being able to to focus on one particular part of the chart as uh, in addition to you know my very detailed. Um, longer readings that I do, sometimes we can really get into some great conversations and get into some interesting depth when we pick out one particular part and really examine it up close. Okay, plug over. Thank you for uh, bearing with me with that. Let's talk about the planetary condition for the week. So this week, the sun is moving through the first decan of Scorpio. It will dip into the second decan at the very end of the week, um, it is. It does have rulership in the second phase, but for the most of the week, the sun will be peregrine. It is moving fast. It will make an exact opposition to Uranus on the 31st, which is Halloween. It will also oppose the moon that day as well. So we have a moon conjoining with Uranus on the full moon. Uh, the sun will be in the terms of Mars from 0 to 7 degrees and then move into the terms of Venus from 7 to 11 degrees. It will be co-present with a retrograde Mercury in Scorpio, making a sextile to Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn, and then sextiling Venus in Virgo before Venus moves out of Virgo and into Libra. The host of the sun this week is a retrograde Mars in Aries, which it has an aversion relationship to right now, but it does have that kind of uh, like and relationship that I've been talking about where there is still a, a, a potentially a secret channel where Mars is able to provide resources to the sun. Um, Scorp- let's just talk a little bit about Scorpio while we're on the sun here. Scorpio is that concept of uh, separation. Now, Schmidt talks about uh, Mars as the quality of severing, separating, splitting apart that which is alike or together. Now, I've had some thoughts as I was meditating on Mars. What does Mars want to do in its diurnal uh, temple, Aries, versus its nocturnal temple of Scorpio? Now, in the Aries cycle, okay, because this, this is where Mars is right now, and this is where we might be feeling some tension. Mars in Aries is the severance from the universal substance that we could talk about with almost like Neptune, right? We're severing from the, the mother body, the substance, so that we can individuate into a body. Look, so, look at what happens when we go from Mars to, uh, in Aries to the next sign, which is Venus in Taurus the unification of spirit with a body. So Mars and Aries is saying, I am separating my consciousness from the universal consciousness to become an individual so that eventually I will be able to reconcile and come into union with a body. Now, what does the nocturnal Mars do? What are we severing from then? So it's the opposite. We are severing from the body that we have already come into union with and then we are moving towards, okay, returning to spirit, which is what we do in Sagittarius. We're trying to return to some kind of ideal, some kind of faith, some kind of, um, you know, pilgrimage to find, you know, God. And this is really interesting to me because. You know, Scorpio in the Northern Hemisphere coincides with the time of year where we're seeing decay. We're seeing the leaves fall from the tree. We're seeing the bodies returning to the earth, the process of fermentation, the composting type of Mars. So Mars has this quality of being able to uh, both provide fermentation, right, the composting, the severing, okay, and its opposite, Venus and Taurus, is that fecundity, right? That that fertile soil that is ready to give birth to form. So very interesting. Now, what is what is challenging is that Mars right now is birthing things through that Aries temple and saying, I want to individuate so that I can put myself into a body eventually. Whereas the sun is, is, is basically shining the light of the mind, the consciousness, the, the the will, the selection on the process of decay. So there may be some confusion with this where we want to individuate and we want to, to, to say, this is what I am and this is what I am not. But we're being asked to like, sever from things with the sun and Scorpio and say, well, I've got to get rid of this first. So what I would say with the sun and Scorpio this week is you need to get rid of the identity or maybe even the physical forms that no longer serve you so that you can continue that process of saying, this is who I am with Mars in Aries this and and say, this is what I'm not and this is what I am. Okay, let's move forward to Saturn. Now, Schmidt talks about Saturn. His key words for Saturn are exile, deprivation, abandonment, casting out, orphanage, darkness. So Saturn is in Capricorn this week, moving from 25 to 26 degrees of Capricorn. So wherever Saturn is moving, this, now it's in its own domicile. It's in its own terms from 22 to 26 degrees. It will move into ter- the terms of Mars. From 26 to 30 degrees it's moving fast okay it's uh co-present with jupiter it is making the overcoming square to mars and aries sextiling the sun and mercury and scorpio and making a trine to venus and virgo it will then move into a square relationship with mercury and venus once they move into libra at the beginning of the week on tuesday it's its own host Right, so it's got all of its own resources. It's drawing upon all of those resources of exile, deprivation, abandonment, casting out. And we have to think about this as different from Mars. Okay, it, it, but malefic planets, planets bring hardship generally, but it's a different type of hardship, okay? You know, he was talking about Mars as severing and separating that which was together, okay? Uh, Think about, um, this is a a topic that's been in the news. Mars is associated with abortion, right? You're severating or severing the, the baby from a body. Whereas Saturn is associated with orphans, where you are abandoning something that existed and casting it out. So what do we think about with Saturn right now? Saturn's very strong. We are all feeling abandoned, cast out. Okay, with social distancing. right? We're all feeling deprived of light. Saturn was the opposite of the sun in the thema mundi. Saturn was the opposite of the moon in the thema mundi, in Capricorn in particular. What are we deprived of right now? Lunar community. The moon, according to Schmidt, is the city. The moon is The community, it is what we share. It is collecting something. So with Saturn in that particular position, we are being deprived of our communities, right? Because it is opposite that domicile of the moon, right? Yeah, and this is really something that is clicking a lot of boxes away from me right now. So what happens when we move into Aquarius? When Saturn moves into Aquarius, it'll be opposite the domicile of the sun, we will be deprived of individuality. <laughs> See what I'm saying? We will be have a difficult a difficulty finding our own individual voices amongst this uh, collective, right? We will be feeling a, a difficulty through just um, feeling homogenized, uh, feeling like we don't have an identity. Um, and these are, all Capri- or these are all Aquarian type of themes, too, is, is, is the, you know, when the sun is in Aquarius, it is in its exile. It is difficult for the sun to become individuated and because it is being fed by Saturn, because it is being fed by deprivation. So think about that this week as we are moving towards Saturn and Aquarius. You know, we may be deprived of our communities right now, but think about how we are going to uh, endure that lack, okay? We are finding strength through endurance. That's why, why we say Saturn is associated with an endurance in modern astrology, or even in, you could extrapolate that out, in, out into the traditional astrology as well. Because the circumstances that Saturn brings you is deprivation you have to endure something through your own willpower right think about saturn in your own chart that is wherever saturn is placed in your own chart is a place that you've been deprived and you've been in and you've been asked to endure lack and over time you may have built the quality of being able through for, through a long period of time You may have been able to, you built in the quality of being able to find that, but through endurance, through hard work, through deprivation, you may have been able to incorporate that quality into your life, but it didn't come easy, right? I have Saturn in the third decan of Virgo, a, a decan associated with understanding the passage of time and what stays and what goes and leaving a legacy and thinking about, um, I don't know, thinking about form and how are you going to separate out what is useful and what isn't. Okay. And it's been a lifelong journey for me to uh, decide what is useful in my life and what it needs to be let go of i had difficulty letting go of things as a young person i would hang on to everything i would hang on to old mail i would hang on to old documents i would hang on to you name it i was a i was a class class a hoarder right and some of that can be attributed to having a very strong moon in my chart and being having the sun in cancer i think those are all contributing factors but saturn was saying hey you need to learn the ability to sift out what is actually practical and what isn't, and that ability was denied to me. Okay, and I was even se- separated from that ability because I have Mars and Saturn in that particular decan. Okay, so it, it's it's equally important that I learn that quality of life, that I learn how to differentiate between what is of use and what isn't what form needs to be given back to the earth and what needs to be passed on as a legacy and it'll only come through the cultivation of my character not through it necessarily coming easy to me so i think about that with malefic planets in your chart these things aren't going to come easy to you that doesn't mean you can't develop those things in your character It just means that you will develop them through challenging circumstances. Okay, let's move forward to Jupiter. Now, Jupiter is in the third decan of Capricorn this week, moving from 20 to 21 degrees, moving fast. It is still in its fall since it is in the domicile of Saturn where it's very uncomfortable. It is at the bottom of the wheel of fortune. It is depressed. It's difficult for Jupiter to bring something uh, to confirm things, okay? This is what Schmidt talks about Jupiter as confirmation. It stabilizes things. It's a bridge builder. It is associated with friendship. And there, here's something really surprising. He talks about the, the, the diurnal planets, Jupiter, Saturn, and the sun, as personal ones because of the sun's ability to be of a selecting quality. Whereas Venus, Mars, and moon the moon may be slightly impersonal, more communal. That was, that was a shocking thing that I'll have to explore further and think about and meditate on further. But if we think about Jupiter as that stabilization, this is what uh, comes more easy to you. And forgive me, there's a thunderstorm rolling in. Hopefully, everything will work out well with this on this Mercury retrograde day, uh, you know. Please, Hermes, be kind. Um, But with Jupiter in its fall, Jupiter as that quality of stabilization, wherever it's moving through in the chart, it is going to attempt to stabilize that, to confirm it, to say, this is to almost bring it together in, in some kind of unified system. You know, Jupiter was associated with orthodox religion okay, like a a system of religion, whereas Venus was like associated with ritual, okay, with like uh, being able to practice, okay? It wasn't the rules themselves or the law, it was the practice of it. It was the people that were practicing the more universal type of systematic organization. So what happens when Jupiter is in Capricorn, especially Capricorn three? Well, I also think that in your chart, Jupiter, by, by via stabilizing that particular energy in your chart, it will bring that to you. It will gift it to you, right? So what is being gifted? What is being stabilized? What is being confirmed in the third decan of Capricorn? Positions of authority. So this is where Jupiter is now able to bring its confirmation and stabilization to that third decan where Pluto and Saturn have been, you know, basically... Asking us to um, destabilize and to compost and to let go and feeling exiled. So this is really interesting. Now, Jupiter and Saturn are moving kind of close together. Now, what's going to happen in the next week or so? This, we're not going to see a perfection of this, but we're going to see this in the next week. Jupiter is going to conjoin Pluto. All right. and this is something we've been looking at with uh, the coronavirus and things like that as, as one of the main signatures of the coronavirus aside from like the Jupiter Pluto conjunction and things of that nature every peak that we've seen between Jupiter and Pluto uh, we've seen a spike in coronavirus numbers and, and this is happening yet again as um, I, I don't want to be like the the horn tutor cuz it's such a horrible thing we're experiencing but i've been saying this all summer that we're going to have another spike like this and um you know what we're seeing ex- expanded and what we're seeing confirmed and stabilized is pluto's destabilization <laughs> like it's 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 a, it's a you know a confirmation of that that destabilization uh, energy, of that fermentation energy, of that uh, questioning something on a, on a large scale so that we can eventually compost it in something new. All right. The other th- thing I talked about last week was you may be gifted or you may have thrust upon you uh, through really through luck, through maybe uh, a circumstance of a gift, positions of authority, right? And it's it's difficult with Jupiter in this position because that authority that is gifted we feel the burden of it we feel the Saturnian weight of responsibility in this particular decan. All right, now Jupiter is going to be moving through the terms of Venus, 14 to 22 degrees. It's making all the same aspects that Saturn is. It's co-present with Saturn. It's host. It's making the overcoming square to Mars and Aries, sextile uh, the. Planets in Scorpio, the Sun and Mercury retrograde, and then it will be squaring Mercury and Venus in Libra. It'll also, make a trine with uh, with Venus and Virgo before it moves into Libra. It's co-present with its host. Okay, so it's sitting at the table with Saturn right now. All right, let's move forward to Mars and think about this. Mars is going to be still retrograde, slow in motion. Uh, moving from 17 to 16 degrees backwards of Aries. It's in its own domicile. It is in the terms of Mercury, 12 to 20 degrees. It's receiving that overcoming square from Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn. It is making an opposition once Mercury retrogrades back into Libra and opposes, uh, And it will make the opposition to Mercury retrograde and to Venus when Venus moves into Libra, excuse me. Uh, the Mars will be in its own domicile, so it is pulling on all of its resources of severing separation. It is able to manifest the the necessary severing to create individuation, so that we can uh, cr- so that we can prepare ourselves for union of that individual spirit with a body. I think about this. We we are all going through this this process of individuation, separating from the old paradigm, okay? And we're getting ready to have inspiration about new birth, especially with Uranus in Taurus, of how we're going to create a new society and a new way of dealing with material resources and the way that we go through processes of exchange and our monetary system Um, We're going through changes where we are seeing, you know, the fall of an old government so that we can create some new uh, way of governing that is more fair and more equitable and takes into account uh, the needs of of the many rather than just the need of the one or the king. Okay. So we're seeing, I think, with this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is a new paradigm that is more taking into account uh, the idealistic air right the idealistic qualities of um universality right of of being able to like think about uh how even the most exiled person in a society a society is going to be taken care of rather than just the select few that's part of this new paradigm shift that we're seeing the shift from the, the the elite having all the power to redistributing that power to the people. And I, that is, I really do think that that is part of this paradigm shift, okay? Um, but th- there's risks inherent with that too. There is downsides to that. As we become more fair and equitable, it may be more difficult to become individuated. It may be more difficult to feel like we are uh, individuals within that have uh, unique consciousnesses within this new system. All right. If everybody is the same, then or are given the same things, how do we stand out? How do we attain rank within that system? That because that is one of the significations of the sun is attaining rank or attaining respect, right? So how do we feel respected and feel like we've done something significant within a society that values uh, equality above all else? So we have, to, we have to work with that paradox. I'm not saying that equality is wrong. I'm saying that we need it. I'm saying that the, the system has been really lopsided, right? But how do we become individuals within that? How do we become more than just our role how do we come become more than just our uh i don't know how we're viewed by our skin color how do we come become more than just you know uh our caste i guess you could say it's that's a terrible word for it but our our um well our economic status you know like how do we become individual spirit souls within that system that is becoming more homogenized and that is a good question and we've seen the shift to that where anybody can become a king anybody can become a star anybody can become a rock star now it was social media right and that was one of the things with social media was like the the ability for the common person to become famous and reducing the the gatekeeper type of uh, experience with that all right so mars has a role in this mars is really trying to help us determine who we are in that new system and that's going to necessitate saying who we aren't now venus we have a busy week for venus venus is moving through uh, virgo this week 27 to 30 degrees of Virgo moving fast it is in its fall in Virgo uh, where it is depressed Uh, Venus is in the house of Mercury where Mercury is trying to destabilize things and cast doubt and contest and Venus's role is to reunify that which was separate and bring things together and harmonize through front communal friendships um maybe through even impersonal friendships through like uh, groups. Okay. Um, so Venus has a tough time because it is, it is fundamentally being provided for seeing the differences and seeing, casting doubt and saying, how do we bring together the things that have really become disparate elements? And it's tough for Venus to do that in that position. So, but Venus has a little bit of dignity. It, it, has, it is the triplicity ruler by day. So there is some sort of c- community where we may feel like we are, uh, mm, where we understand our differences, and we may be able to find unity in feeling uh, that we don't have belonging. <laughs> I think that might be part of the, the Venus and Virgo type of thing, right? It, it, Venus is depressed but we're we're depressed together. I think that's kind of the triplicity type of thing. Now, uh, Venus will be in the terms of Mars from 21 to 28 degrees and the terms of Saturn from 28 to 30 degrees. So malefic bound lords for Venus on Monday before uh, before it moves into Libra on Tuesday. In Virgo, it will make a trine with Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn and it will sextile the sun and Mercury in Scorpio. The host of Venus will be Mercury retrograde in Scorpio, which it has a sextile relationship with. So, we're reviewing things in the past. We're we're seeing like all the past things that that maybe uh, we've lost, and and that we need to shift towards gratitude of what still remains. We're composting old friendships. We're composting old experiences. We're composting old communications. And Venus is trying to 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 pick up the pieces and reunify the pieces of that uh, fermentation process, and say, what do we need to to hang on to from what we've lost, and what do we, or from what needs to go, and what do we just need to let return to the earth? That's what Venus has been doing with this third decan. Those things have been cooperating, right now with Venus and and uh, Mercury in Scorpio and Virgo respectively, there is this really great uh, harmony between them. You know, sextiles are of the nature of Venus. There is this ability to like work together to 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 make sure that we are um, letting go of what needs to be let go of and, and not you know throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Now we do have a big shift this week with Venus moving into Libra. Now that's going to happen on Tuesday, the 27th. Venus is going to move from zero to six degrees of Libra this week, where it returns home. This is the diurnal temple or the domicile of Venus. It will still be moving fast. It will start off in the terms of Saturn, its exaltation Lord, from zero to six degrees, and then move into the terms of Mercury uh, from six to 14 degrees. Once Venus moves into Libra, it will start making an overcoming square to Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn. It will be co-present with Mercury retrograde, okay? And it will oppose Mars in Aries, okay? It's in its own domicile. So now in the Hellenistic way of thinking about things, squares with benefics, especially when benefics were in the overcoming position when they were earlier in the Zodiac, weren't necessarily bad things, okay? There may be, it may be a little bit more harder to bring things about okay there may be some challenges involved but venus is trying to bonify these planets right here saturn jupiter in particular okay it's trying to you know our ability to see other sides of the issue our ability to reunify the two disparate elements of our society is well supported Now, one of the things that I saw last night, last night was the last presidential debate. And I think Joe Biden did a really good job. And I I think that the thing that I appreciated about Joe Biden the most, and it was a brilliant thing that he did if he was, I don't know if he was told to do this by his handlers or if it was something that he really, really truly believes. I think he does. Maybe I'm projecting what I believe onto what he believes, but that's what we do with our politicians. He said, I am not. President of red and blue states. I am. I am aspiring to be the president of the United States, of all states. I want to represent all of the people, not just these particular individual, separated, severed, martial states. And Donald Trump does the exact opposite. He has Mars in the first house. He's a very divisive separating and separating figure okay and that is part of who he is as a person he can't help it and there may be some role that he is playing with that martial consciousness because he's part of this grand cosmic dance you know uh my man joe biden is a sagittarius rising he's a jupitarian with jupiter exalted in cancer he's a stabilizer he's somebody that is going to bring st- more stability and unification and bridge that gap right now he does have the sun in scorpio which is mars ruled so you saw last night that he was a little feisty and he was you know pretty impassioned and saying this is what needs to be composted this is what isn't working with the Trump administration. And here's what we need to do to move forward. It was an interesting blend of saying what wasn't working and what, what needs to happen in the future. And that's I, 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 it's a real interesting combination to me. But I thought that the, the brilliant thing and the hopeful thing was that he was speaking to all Americans and not just the right, the left, the blue, the red. And that's something that's sorely, sorely needed right now. And I think that Venus moving into Libra is going to be able to begin that process of, of reunification and reharmonization and saying, you know what? We are one, one country. We are not, you know, 50 separate countries or two separate countries. Okay. We're one country and if we're able to just kind of like rebalance some of these polarized extremes, that's what Venus is going to be doing in this domicile of Libra. She's has all of her own resources, her ability to soften her ability to be attractive. Okay. Her ability to weigh both sides of an issue, her ability to have empathy and to be receptive and to listen will allow her to create that harmony that is being sought right now or that we sorely need so that's what we're seeing with with venus moving into libra mercury this week is still going to be retrograde in scorpio it's going to be moving backwards from two to zero degrees of scorpio very slow uh, it is peregrine in scorpio and it will be in the terms of mars from zero to seven degrees now we'll move back into libra on the, the, uh, the 27th, and it will square Saturn exactly on November the 1st. While Mercury is in Scorpio, it will be conjoining or co present with the Sun. Uh, well, actually, it will conjoin the Sun exactly on Sunday. Um, if you're listening to this on Sunday, that will be the Mercury kazimi moment. And then we will start a separation of the Mercury with the Sun. So it, it's co present with the Sun. It's sextile Saturn and Jupiter in Capricorn and sextile Venus in uh, Virgo. The host of Mercury when it's in Scorpio is Mars retrograde in Aries, which it has an aversion relationship with, but, but the like in girding. Now, when Mercury retrogrades back into Libra, it will move from 30 to 26 degrees of Libra uh, and it will, have, it will gain dignity by triplicity. So it'll gain communal support. Triplicity is sort of like, um, you can think of it as being Jupiterian in nature. It's like you have the support of your peers. You've got friends. Okay, It's the support of your friends, your community, and maybe your personal friends. So Mercury may may be able to, to soften the communications that we may be experiencing. It will be moving through the terms of Mars from 28 to 30 degrees, and then the terms of Venus from 21 to 28 degrees. It'll be co-present with Venus, its host, which is a very helpful aspect in Hellenistic astrology. And it'll be making that overcoming square to Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn while making an opposition with Mars and Aries. So what is Mercury doing? It, it you know, we may really be trying to weigh both sides. Mercury, according to Schmidt, contests. It was the ruler of, of sports contests. That's what we're doing in, in sporting events is where one side is trying to beat the other, all right? It destabilizes. It's that lawyer in the cosmic courtroom or in the cosmic mind. Think of the cosmic mind as, you know, this, all these different facets of one particular consciousness speaking to one another or speaking to itself, all right? Uh, because it is multifaceted. And Mercury is that kind of voice that is you know, saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, And I think that what we're going to see with Mercury in Libra 3 is a destabilization or contesting of our ability to keep our inner peace, our equilibrium, Okay, because that's some of the significations of, of Libra 3 is we're really going to be challenged to be able to keep our, our peaceful center. Now, Venus is going to be helping because Venus is going to be providing resources for Mercury to to keep that center, but it'll still be like, okay, let's question how we keep our center, how we, how we become the eye of the storm, which is some of the significations of Libra 3, all right? So uh, there will be an ability to review the way that you maintain your inner peace or the way that we maintain social peace okay with with libra it's more of a externalized peace how do we keep the peace with our social contracts that we have with one another you know think about taurus is more about inner peace taurus is about how do we stabilize and and reunify and harmonize ourselves with the body okay whereas we're trying to harmonize with the soul uh, and with the spirit in, in Libra, we're trying to like return to spiritual consciousness and say, okay, did, did you, when you in the life course of a lifetime, did you do what you needed to do? Were you balanced? Did you create karma? Did you create uh, weight in your heart, <laughs> you know, against the weight of the ostrich feather? Were they equal? And if they aren't, you got to go back and do it again. And you got to try to, re reharmonize, okay and that might be one of the meanings of life i think is can we come into balance it's certainly one of the meanings of life in the dao okay the, the yin yang where where a little bit of the light is always born in the darkness and a little bit of the darkness is born in the light and they're constantly intermingling with one another in this unified dance so you know one of the things to think about this week is how do you Avoid going to extremes, because I, w- I would say that Aries Mars wants to go to extremes. It wants to individuate sometimes, and we have to really ask ourselves: how how are we creating balance? How are we creating the ability to balance out the very martial desire to maybe have some kind of self centered identity to separate from that that which we are not. Which, which we do through anger. A lot of times we get angry because someone doesn't agree with us because we say, I am not this and I don't agree with you. So I'm going to get angry, right? That's Mars. And with Mars in Aries opposing Mercury and Libra, that like, oh, I don't agree with you is going to be through some conversations where you're trying to weigh both sides of an issue. And we have to be careful that we don't get off track and off balance. All right, let's talk about the moon this week. The moon is going to be waxing from its first quarter that we're experiencing right now to the full phase. Uh, and that full moon happens on Halloween. Um, and that will be conjoining, uh, the moon will be conjoining Uranus. The moon's going to be slow this week. Uh, so bringing things to form is, you know, difficult. Um, the moon is Peregrine in, in Pisces and in Aries. And then it will move into its exaltation in Taurus, where it also has triplicity rulership in the nighttime and is the ruler of the second decan of Taurus. So lots of dignity. Um, And we'll break that down as we get into the dailies. But at that full moon, we may be able to bring some kind of transcendental ideal into form, you know, because it is really full with the light of the sun. Conversely, we may be letting go of some forms. So we may be letting go of forms, you know, with the the light, the spirit, the animating spirit of the Scorpio sun, maybe letting go of form so that we can achieve a more idealized form, which is Uranus and Taurus. All right. I love it when I study my man, Robert Schmidt. And, you know, I will also give a shout out to my teacher, Achuta Bhavadas, because he really introduced me to a lot of Schmidt's work. And um, he was a, somebody who knew um, Mr. Schmidt personally and was a disciple, I guess, or a student of his before he passed away after a, a stroke. Um, a huge loss for the astrological community, thinking about loss right now. Um, that's, that's somebody that we lost Um, too soon before he was able to oh I think he gave us a lot he really did and I think that he was in the process of articulating and giving us even more and that is a real loss for the community because now we have to kind of um, use Robert's way of thinking as a springboard and I I don't mean just his knowledge I mean his philosophical ability to think like an ancient astrologer. That's the key. It's not just about learning rules. It's about learning to think like the universal mind, learning to think like an ancient Greek philosopher, learning to think like an ancient Greek astronomer, which were one and the same. So he, that is the biggest gift that Robert Schmidt, I think, gave all of us is learning how to think. And, you know, he had a Gemini moon. His Gem, his Gemini moon is at the exact same degree as my Venus. So uh, I feel, yeah, 16 degrees Gemini. He had he had uh, the moon right on Rigel, which was that fixed star that was associated with having the foot in the, the river of knowledge. And boy, howdy, did he ever. Um, so, Real interesting, really would uh, advise you to seek out some of his work. Um, Some of it can be a little harder to find. Uh, Like I said, there is a really great lecture series through the Association for Young Astrologers that um, if you become a member, I think you'll have instant access to that archive. It's well, well worth it. All right, let's move forward to our daily report. I'm going to go one chart here. Oops, I went to... To something else. We're going to go forward to Monday and we're going to put the sun on the ascendant. We're going to go pretty quickly through the first couple of days because there's only lunar aspects on the first couple of days of the week. Now, I have, have some thoughts about going through all of these meticulously because one of the things that Robert Schmidt points out is that time lords. Uh, perfected time lords and time lord systems were much more used than transits and secondary progressions in the hellenistic system so i have a almost an existential crisis about thinking about how are how are you supposed to use these planetary aspects for the week and i think it goes like this here's how you can get value out of this uh in a hellenistic way but still thinking about the transits number one figure out what your your uh, perfected time lord of the year is and that can be done by going online and downloading a chart you know the way that this works is every year of the life the uh ascendant clicks over to a new sign so if your ascendant like this chart here is scorpio that's what for for the year zero to year one that that is your your perfected time lord would be mars and then for year one to year two, it will be Jupiter, and so on and so forth. Every 12 years, it comes back to one. So like, for example, I'm 40 years old, and that comes, that makes, I've gone around the circle, came back around, you know, three times already, <laughs> like, and now I'm in a fifth house perfection year, which in my chart is ruled by, is, is the sign Sagittarius ruled by the planet Jupiter. So that's my perfected time Lord, Okay. So I would really pay special attention to contacts with Jupiter and to what Jupiter is doing over the course of the week. So if you're having, if Jupiter's your time lord, pay special attention to what the moon is doing to Jupiter, to what Jupiter is doing and special uh, where it is in the Zodiac and what contacts it's making. And this is true for all of the other planets. And and in that way, you can use this more generalized horoscope. To be able to get a more personalized experience. And the other thing I would say too is what we're really doing when we're looking at these transits is I think we are watching, we are observing the universal mind playing out a universal drama. It's a stage, it's a play. And what we're trying to do is trying to figure out the reflections of that on the Platonic cave, right? On Plato's cave, right? Where, where, you know, astrology is, all we're seeing is the shadows dancing on the cave wall. And the universal mind is playing it out in the background, but we're trying to interpret it through the shadows. These planets are all shadows. This life we're living is a shadow of that cosmic consciousness. And, you know we're trying to secondary in a secondarily process like shadows are a secondary reality we're trying to second guess what is going on in the universal mind because we are part of that universal mind we are that it's body so to speak right we are we are the universal mind infused into substance and i think that's a really great way to absorb this podcast is to think about that and to figure out what your time Lord is and to be able to just see if you can get a glimpse into the universal mind. And yes, that may have some personal signification for you. It will have more personal signification for you when your time Lord is activated by the transits. But if you can understand what's going on in the universal mind, because other people will be affected by other planets. So they're playing out that portion of the drama while you're playing out your portion of the drama. It's really fascinating how that all can fit together. So let's talk about Monday. On Monday, October the 26th, the only aspect we have is a sextile between the moon and retrograde Uranus at 1043 AM at eight degrees of Pisces and Taurus respectively. The moon will be continuing its first quarter phase in the sign of Pisces. Okay. So we're just kind of just rolling along on Monday. We have just experienced the conjunction of Mercury and the sun. So we've had Mercury's Kazemi moment. So really pay attention to any ideas that come to light, any inspirations that you're having. I think I'm having them right now. Like I'm feeling that can, that Mercury conjunction very, uh, very mm, intensely right now. And uh, you know, think about what you're experiencing at this moment in the beginning of this week and what wants to be birthed from the underworld. What ideas want to emerge? What needs to be left behind and what needs to be, uh, so that you can have a new birth of individuation, all right? So that's what's happening on Monday. Uh, Venus is still in Virgo. It's about to move forward into Libra. Um, The moon will be kind of, you know, collecting the light of the sun. The moon will be in a trine with the sun, okay? It will be uh, harmony between the lights. So we may be able to collect that light of that Scorpio moon, excuse me, the Scorpio sun, and be able to manifest uh, a journey, I would say. Pisces is all about the internal journey of Jupiter, It is stabilizing our inner world and going off in search of meaning in the inner reality. So we may be faced with loss with the sun and Scorpio that sends us off into an inner journey to be able to understand that loss within the context of our life and the story and the narrative and the chapters of our life and what that means for us moving forward in the next stages. Now, the moon is going to be applying to neptune and i talked about neptune in the beginning of this where neptune is kind of that you know according to schmidt that transcendental moon that universal moon that dissolving quality into substance so we may feel like our lives on monday and tuesday like we're dissolving any sort of identity any sort of we're we're releasing the spirit the animating spirit so that we're returning to substance It's almost like we're melting into (laughs) back into the earth and that can, that can feel, we could feel tired. I think, I think that's the main thing is fatigue because you know, we don't have the animating spirit of the sun. We don't have the vitality, but, but again, why do we have Neptune transits because sometimes form needs to dissolve back into its base substance so that we can use it for something else later. Right? This is a harmony. I, lo- I love the way that Schmidt talked about the dance between Neptune and Uranus and Pluto being that kind of like intermediary, that process. You know, Pluto is the, the acceleration of that process, that fermentation process between the moon and the sun. Pluto is about death, but Pluto is about rebirth. It's about the dissolving of form, it's about the creation of form it's both. All right. So that's what I got for Monday, the 26th. Let's move forward to Tuesday. On Tuesday, October the 27th, this is where our astrology starts getting interesting. We have a number of lunar aspects, the conjunction of Neptune with the moon at 18 degrees of Pisces at 540 AM. The moon will make a sextile to Jupiter at 937 AM at 20 degrees of of pisces and capricorn it will then sextile pluto in the afternoon around two o'clock and then sextile saturn at 8 46 p.m so the moon is going to you know we're going to be unifying with that dissolving quality of returning to substance with the with neptune and then we're going to have the moon having a relationship a conversation with the capricorn planets where we are examining power and examining structure, and examining authority, and the way that we wield our our power and our authority and our administrative qualities. So the, the moon is an activator. The moon, you know, you know, activates those qualities. So we'll see that, but in a sextile relationship. Now, the other non-lunar things that we're experiencing on Tuesday the 27th, uh, first of all, Mercury is going to retrograde back into the third decan of Libra. And about uh, less than 10 minutes later, Venus moves into the first decan of Libra. So let's break down Libra because we're going to be thinking about Libra a lot. Like we're going to have a shift towards a lot of Libra energy here. Now, one thing I've been doing as part of my research lately is... Uh, I I really want to give a lot of credit to Austin Kopik and his book, 36 Faces. um, In addition to Robert Schmidt and Achuta Das and Dimitra George, um, he is probably the other person that I draw inspiration from very heavily. I would not be able to do the forecast without those three people in particular, um, with also some shout outs to Chris Brennan and Ben Dykes. Those are the people that I really... Uh, in the modern era that I've you know, really been leaning on or standing on their shoulders. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, Austin's great, and I f- always find new facets to his book. The Deccans are, com- are complicated. There are a lot of different ways people have explored the Deccans from Mesopotamia to Egyptian qualities to um, you know, the Greeks and how they dealt with them. And, the, and even in the Indian system, like in the Jyotisha, and one of the things that I've been kind of, a new avenue that I've been exploring beyond the tarot is the, the daimonic deities associated with each in. And I'm doing research on this, and I'm probably going to be fleshing this out, potentially for a class offering. And let me know if you're in- interested in that in the comment section, because maybe do some market research. But... It's really giving me a new awareness of, of, of how these particular decans work and maybe even potentially new, new diamonds to, to um, well, I don't know, to propitiate to have success in these particular areas of life. Diamonds are interesting. And go check out Dorian Greenbaum's work for, for really understanding diamonds. Diamonds were sort of on the level that was slightly lower than the planets. they were intermediaries between us and the planets. If we say that the Transcenturians were intermediaries between the planets and the fixed stars, you know the Daimons are those intermediaries between the elemental realm and the planetary realm. So they're 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 very personal. They're ones that you know we can that they're. What I'm observing is that they really represent very specific, almost like human qualities. You know, like for example. Uh, in the first decan of Libra, the planetary or the, the daimon, the the deity, the spirit, the illuminating spirit, according to 36 heirs of the Zodiac, which is a fragmentary piece that I downloaded the other day. You can find it online. Um, I believe it was, it was translated. I found it translated by a Brazilian um, astrologer. And I can't recall his name off the top of my head. But um, it's just this three paragraphs where they talk about the different daimons of the the decans and in the first decan of libra we have the the Uranes or the furies uh which are the, they are the the three c- chthonic deities of vengeance right and in the in the iliad they are described as uh, there's a quote that say the Uranes that under the earth take vengeance on man, whosoever hath sworn a false oath. Hesiod uh, in his my- mythology talks about them being born from the drops of blood, which fall after Kronos uh, castrated Uranus. Now the other it's interesting because the other one of the other rulers of Libra, Venus also was born from that castration in the, in the sea foam. Okay. Uh, so there were three sisters, three furies, and they, they were, they've been depicted in different ways with like snakes for heads or things like that. They were, they were kind of hideous monsters. Um, and one was named Alecto, uh, the punisher of moral crimes. Another was named Megara, 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 the punisher of infidelity, oath and theft. And then we had Tisiphone, who was the punisher of murderers. So anytime we have some kind of breaking of a social contract, the furies are going to be the ones that, you know, you could petition potentially for retribution and justice. Now, overall, the sign of Libra is associated with Mott, who was, you know, the, uh, the goddess or the god, I don't know, I think it was feminine, of the underworld that was saying, did you do right? in your life all right did you did you treat people fairly did you you know create balance did you are you bringing anything with you as far as maybe karma or something like that so in this first decade we have these awarenesses of these injustices you know these furies are making us aware of like all the wrongs that we've had now what does it mean when venus is here though now venus is trying to soothe those things trying to reunify we, we may have this awareness of the things that we've been wronged by, these imbalances. And we're trying now to start to bring those things together. And uh, it, it's very interesting, the journey that we go through in Libra. We have an awareness of the injustice and inequality in the first decan. We start negotiating new terms of a deal or a contract. We break the contract or we commit to the contract in the second decan. Okay, And then in the third decan, we're, we are resting after potentially a, a, a successful reunification. And we're also, you know, Austin Kopik talks about it as a, as a trying to balance out many different things at once, like be, becoming the calm within the center of chaos. I don't think we're creating... Uh, well, I don't think that we we can always pacify every single situation around us. And this is what the third decan of Libra teaches us. All right. We just have to know how to constantly be readjusting to be able to view life through that peaceful center, through the hub of the wheel. This is a really great metaphor for astrology and for life in general. That wheel keeps on spinning. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be circumstances. Of gain, there's going to be circumstances of loss. That's part of the great cosmic dance. But we have to learn that it's an eternal dance and it keeps going, whether we are in physical form or not, right? And that's the lens that we're viewing uh, life through, through the third decan of Libras, is through that hub and that center of the wheel, through that peaceful equilibrium that we constantly have to make readjustments to Okay We're, we never if you're a libra person if you're a libra inspired person sun in libra venus in libra ascendant libra you're you're constantly trying to maintain that equilibrium it doesn't mean you are in balance all the time in fact you're probably one of the signs that is out of balance quite a bit depending on where those placements are but it is some you're because of that balance being thrown off you are learning on this plane to be able to create harmony whether it's externally or internally now in this case with libra it's a it's a diurnal masculine planet it's it's a or sign i'm sorry it's a it's a masculine gendered sign in the traditional system which associated masculinity was associated with external things okay so we have this kind of desire for this external harmonization, this reunification that is external, that is more societal rather than internally. All right. So let me think for a second. Yeah. Venus is, is really powerful in Libra and she is going to be creating ritual, ritualized harmony. So you may see in the collective, or you may be inspired to ritualize some kind of reunification process. One of the main rituals of unification is marriage. This is why we associate Libra with marriage a lot, because we are creating a ritual, Venus, of bonding, which is actually Saturn, its exaltation ruler. Think of the combination of of the ruler and the exaltation lord. Okay, the domicile Lord and the exaltation Lord we are ritualizing binding okay and sometimes we are ritualizing separation that's why Libra also is a sign of divorce okay because sometimes there is a time where we are denied or we are cast out or we are deprived of a relationship you know I have some Libra friends that they, they want a relationship more than anything in the world and they will not take no for an answer. <laughs> like, And you know who you are. <laughs> like, and, and it's so sad because it, it's, it's the deprivation of that. And I hope that they do find what they're looking for because we all do deserve to feel, I think some happiness in the world. And, uh, I think that it's, a. Uh, just a really interesting thing that that may be part of what they're doing here on this planet is learning how to create the circumstances for that harmony and here's a little tip it's very difficult to be in harmony with other people if you're not in harmony with yourself I, i i know that that's hard to hear sometimes and that is cliche about like how to find a good relationship, but I really do think it's true. Take it from a Taurus moon, <laughs> like somebody who, who is is very concerned with inner peace, is that I did not find a committed relationship until I started to love myself. And so I started to, to feel more of a self-appreciation and an ability to stand on my own. And I do think that those two things are related. And I think that that is probably some of the best way to, to facilitate becoming involved in a more social relationship. Because if you're at odds with yourself, it's very difficult to, to, um, to know how to come into peace with others. And it is, uh, it is one of the challenges of Libra's sons, I think, to be able to find that inner harmony, that harmony of a personal identity, so that they will be able to bring that energy into a social context. Now, if we're talking about daimons and deities, in the second decan, there's, I have some confusion over this. And if any of you have done any research, please reach out and help me with it. Uh, there, there are two daimons that uh, are associated with that second decan in the 36 heirs of the zodiac there's one called kairos which was talked about as the opportune moment it was opportunity it was like you're in the right place at the right time now austin Kopic talks about it as Horkos which was you know i believe a brother of the furies or a nephew or a son or something like that where he was specifically tasked with punishing oath breakers okay so There's two different things. And and there is some confusion because there is another decan, I believe the third decan of Scorpio that is associated with Kairos. Um, And then there's these little uh, crosses around the Libra one, which I think means that they're like, we're not sure if this is right or not. (laughs) I think that's what that means. Um, So anyway, but the third decan. So we move from the Uranus to Kairos or Horcos, Confusing. Uh, to nemesis. And nemesis in the Greek sense is the restoration of right proportion. Now, this is important because Mercury is in this Deccan. Okay. It moves into this Deccan on Tuesday, the 27th. Nemesis is that I believe, I think it's associated with Saturn and, and the ability to restore the right proportion. And nemesis is often contrasted with the concept of 2k or the diamond 2k which is the randomness of the distribution of fate okay so i think that sometimes we get dealt you know a difficult hand sometimes we have martial accidents sometimes we are given good stuff through venus sometimes we're just handed things sometimes the moon like brings us circumstances and forms that are good or bad okay And and nemesis is about uh, how do we use our, almost like our mental faculties and our ability to reason, to bring them back into balance and say, and use our, our almost our solar spiritual quality too. Like, I think that could be another way of thinking about it is since Saturn is part of the diurnal sect, it is using that. You know, binding quality, that enduring quality, to bring things back into harmony. Sometimes through punishment. Okay, so there is a quality of punishment in Libra for sure. If you know some Libra people in your life, you know Libras associated with judges, and what do judges hand out? Punishments. You know, you're not going to go in front of a judge and like be rewarded. Oh, well, I guess I will backtrack and say sometimes you will. If you've been wronged, you may be rewarded with restitution. So a judge both does give and does take away. So so you can see that those are both qualities. It's restoring the equilibrium. Why do people go to court? Because there is an imbalance in a relationship, okay? And they say, I've been wronged. I deserve this instead of this, okay? And the judge has to take all the testimony, all the, the mercurial contesting from the lawyers and then ultimately has to stabilize the situation. That's why Jupiter is associated with judges. Because Jupiter is ultimately restoring harmony to the situation. You either restore harmony by putting a murderer in jail, thereby you know, re- restoring social harmony and potentially retribution for or punishment, like maybe it's Tissaphone, right? Punisher of murderers restoring balance to that situation. Or like, let's say that somebody destroyed your property or you got hit by a car and that their actions, okay, like caused you injury and caused you to lose money or to lose faculties of your body. That judge may say, you have to pay this person a hundred thousand dollars in injury settlement. That is restoring balance to the situation so that person can pay their medical bills and, and restore their health, hopefully. Doesn't always work out that way, but that's the ideal behind it. And this is what Mott's trying to do. Mott's the ultimate judge. Mott's like, how can you restore balance between your experience on this form plane, on this material plane, and your spirituality? And in the one mind, how can you restore the balance between the one thing and the one mind? That's a, her- I believe that that's a hermetic principle, right? How do we restore that balance? Because sometimes that gets out of, out of whack. We may not be manifesting based on the soul's higher, I don't know, purpose. And then we have to answer for that on this plane of existence. But again, I want to point out, because in the past, sometimes I've been a little bit fatalistic or deterministic or stoic. And I am really starting to move off of that position quite a bit, uh, through Cornelius's work, through, you know Schmidt's work, through just reading more about astrological magic and things like that, there are some things that are faded. There are, there are some, there's some hemarmene that you have to experience. But there is pronoia, there is some negotiation through your knowledge and through propitiating the the deities through your relationship with these planetary forces. I highly encourage all of you, even if it's just a thought exercise, and and actually, it'll be more effective if it's not if you use the power of your belief that that you start having a conversation with the universal mind. You know, with the cosmic consciousness, because it's not just this disembodied, you know. It's not just this inert thing. It may be disembodied, but we are the embodiment of it. But if you have a conversation with it, like you are almost giving yourself a pep talk, but, but humbling yourself to it as well, because it's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. You might, might really see some really interesting results. I, I've, I've really felt, uh, I'm really feeling some interesting results this week after starting that practice again. One in particular I did a propitiation to the uh, terrestrial Hermes on Wednesday when because Mercury is retrograde and in the underworld right now underneath the beams of the sun, there is a different Orphic hymn or like a little prayer from Orphism in this ancient Greek kind of religion, I guess. And I, I said a different prayer to Hermes than I would if Hermes was direct or if Mercury was direct. And I had the best day. I had the, I, I, all these interesting things and ideas came to me. I started you know, thinking about a new schedule and how I wanted to, to differentiate my time. Um, it was really quite powerful, all of the interesting things that were effective. you know, Because a lot of times we think of Mercury retrograde as ineffective. I don't know about that. I, I, it just depends. Are you communicating with the deity in the right manner? I think that's part of the, the challenge. Okay, let's move forward. Let's move forward to Wednesday, the 28th. And we'll go quickly through the next couple of days because we just have some lunar aspects and we'll get to our full moon because I know that you're, you might be anticipating that. So on Wednesday, October the 28th, the moon is, moves into Aries at 4.44 a.m. in the waxing gibbous phase. And the only lunar aspect we have of that day is the moon will oppose the newly ingressed Venus into Libra at zero degrees of Aries and Libra at 5.32 a.m. So potentially uh, we may have a desire to bring some sort of individual, individual project or individual mandate or individual idea into form. But we have to think about how we are going to reconcile that with the need to um, come into harmony or play nice with others. So that may be the, the, the gist of w- late Tuesday, early Wednesday, and, and the, what we're dealing with there. Um, I'm looking for anything else that maybe we may be experiencing. Again, we, now Mercury is in Libra, and, and it's, it has changed signs. In late Tuesday. So now we're, you know, reevaluating how we maintain our inner peace, our inner center, and how we balance out the, the multitude of things that we have to do in our in our lives. We are going to be kind of starting to feel the opposition between the sun and Uranus. Uh, so there may be some shakeups with some things in our life and in the Scorpio and Taurus ruled areas of our life. Um, so that's what we've got for Wednesday, the 28th. On October the 29th, Thursday, uh, the moon will still be in Aries moving through that waxing gibbous phase. We have two lunar aspects on Thursday. The moon will be conjoining Mars retrograde at 2.33 p.m. at 16 degrees of Aries. And then it will be squaring Jupiter at 10.38 p.m. at 20 degrees of Aries and Capricorn. Um, Taking a look at this chart, that second decan of Aries is the royal decan. Uh, where it is the exaltation, it it contains the degree, 19 degrees Aries, where the sun has its exaltation. It also contains two fixed stars uh, that are part of the royal family. Um, I believe Andromeda is there and uh, Alpharetz, which is part of the um, constellations, uh, Cepheus, I believe that's the king's name, Cepheus, So we've got this association with this royal family, with sovereignty, with being able to uh, be uh, lord or lady of our own particular world that we've tried to create, this sovereign world where we're able to, we don't necessarily have to follow anyone's rules but our own, we are the royal family. So we may be feeling this with the moon making uh, contact with Mars is that we're really anxious to separate from a world not of our own creating and and move towards uh, a world of our own now that may be frustrating though because mars is retrograde and we're having some very we're having difficulty doing that and saturn is in the overcoming position creating you know asking us to slow down asking us to consider um you know what we are being deprived of and things of that nature now Jupiter is in that overcoming position as well, trying to, trying to give us positions of authority, uh, or maybe gifting us a position of authority that we may not quite be ready for, um, and uh, that we may feel the weight of the responsibility of that authority. So, on some level, be careful what you wish for. If you're trying to administrate a world, uh, it may not you you may not be able to completely separate yourself from it having collateral damage or collateral effect on other people and that's one of the things that we're seeing with mars being in an opposition with mercury and venus on these days as well just by whole sign so you know create your own world Uh, think about how you are different than others but also think about how you're going to bring that into balance and into unity with your community and your social group that you're a part of as well all right let's move forward to friday on Friday the 30th. On Friday, October the 30th, the moon moves from Aries into Taurus, its exaltation at 5.18 p.m. This is still the waxing gibbous phase, and the moon will move under the bond uh, at 23 degrees of Aries around 4 a.m. That's a position where the moon is either within 15 degrees of conjunction or opposition with the sun, where it's where it's basically hidden. There was like a hidden position. It was held captive by the sun. Okay, so that means that it's difficult to bring things into form, all right? It's, the moon is all about you know, using that substance to bring things into being, infusing it into, uh, into, with solar light. Now this may be a time where the sun's kind of grabbed a hold of the moon and it's infusing it with its, its uh, scorpionic light. And it's difficult for the moon to kind of like bring it into, into form because it's like, you know, in that furnace, so to speak, or, or absorbing, you know, its final burst of light before it, it manifests as something at the full moon before it really shows us what it's really been birthing. Think of the full moon as sort of the birth of the form that was initiated at the moment of conjunction or the moment of union between the sun and the moon where the the moon was impregnated okay with spirit where substance was impregnated with idealism okay and we see the fruition of that come at the full moon but there's there's birth pains that's what the bond is the bond is labor pains you know this it's it's the labor pains of, of bringing that into the light And it may be difficult and it may, you may not see the result yet, but you're going to have that beautiful little baby. You're going to have the the beautiful result of what you've been trying to birth once the moon escapes the bond. The moon will be making a square to Pluto at 225 AM at 22 degrees of Aries and uh, Capricorn. It will also then square Saturn at 930 AM at 26 degrees Aries and Capricorn and then make an opposition to retrograde Mercury at 27 Libra at 12.32 PM. We finally get relief from those difficult aspects at 5.18 PM when the moon moves into Taurus. So a, probably a difficult day of manifestation on Friday where we are you know, really working on how are we going to show whatever we've been working on to the world uh, we're going to have a difficult conversation with pluto and with saturn you know really trying to understand you know the limitations of our idea and then you know we're going to be working on balancing out whether our personal initiative with the needs of the others in our social constructs that we have in our social relationships and our social contracts okay Let's move to Halloween. On Friday, wait, no, that's, oh yeah, no, this is Saturday. Sorry. That was Friday. On Saturday, October the 31st, happy Halloween. uh, The moon will be in Taurus. We will experience the fullness of the moon at 1049 AM at eight degrees of Taurus. So two things that we have to break down here is the full moon and the moon conjoining Uranus and the sun opposing it, right? So those are the elements that we have. So the full moon is pretty close to the degree of the moon's exaltation at about three degrees of Taurus. So that's interesting. This is a time where we're seeing something come into form. Um, There is a, a, we're holding the balance of growth and decay, of fecundity. Thank you, Austin Kopic, for teaching me that word. And fermentation. And we have two cards in the in the tarot that really illuminate that for us. We have the Five of Cups associated with the first decan of Scorpio, and the Five of Pentacles associated with the first decan of Taurus. Now, both of them look fairly hard and difficult. Like we've got you know, these figures that are injured or have an illness or something like that. But they seem like they are uh, finding support. They are outside of a church. And there's always been this debate as to whether they are going to the church or leaving the church. And, you know, in my thought process now, I think that with Taurus, on the 11th house cusp of the Thema Mundi, that they're receiving support because we see in the second decan them receiving charity. So I think that these are people that may have been uh, fallen on hard times, but are now going to a better, a better type of experience. And it is the union of the spirit with the body, right? Now the, the opposite is happening in the five of, of cups where we have a figure that is mourning the loss of attainment the loss of form realizing that there's still something behind right it's about turning to gratitude it's about turning to spirituality maybe we lose the body and we we exalt the spirit or maybe we learn that the the body has limitations so we turn to a more spiritual experience that there's only so many i don't know there's only so many things we can buy to try to fill the hole in our soul And when we turn our perspective to appreciate, you know, the spirit, that's when we can uh, go across the bridge into the castle of fulfillment. Now, these two themes are going to be pretty, uh, that we're going to see a dichotomy between them at the full moon. Um, This may be the the fruition of, I think you can think of it in two different ways. It's maybe the fruition of what we started at the new moon, now, this new movement actually was started in the third decan of Libra. So we were trying to find out how do we come to equilibrium? It was conjoined the fixed star Spica. So we were thinking about what gift we have to give to the world or, or maybe even the support that we get from society itself. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and we're thinking about how do we, how do we birth that peaceful center? And one of the things that we can think about here is is it's balancing at this full moon, the need to let go and to embrace spirit and the need to acknowledge form. And with the moon conjoining Uranus, if we think about it like Schmidt thinks about it. And it's really interesting because it's the moon that's conjoining it. It's almost like a, a supercharged new moon, <laughs> even though it's a full moon, it's a universal new moon. Does that make sense? It's like uh, we're seeing the full moon on the on the um, material plane, but maybe we're seeing the the infusing of the material plane with a universal consciousness, because he, Schmidt described Uranus if he had to break it down like a Hellenistic thing. And I think that. Now, again, this is something that Schmidt's kind of coming up with. So it's a, he's trying to make a conjecture based on the way he thinks about Hellenistic astrology. But he's saying that with the transcendental sun, aka Uranus, it is like this, this idealization of what we are striving for as individuals. So you could think about it as an idealized person or an idealized human Or an idealized society. So we may be trying to figure out the idealization of how we are using our resources. Okay? So we're seeing the full moon may come to bear about, if I'm looking at what's happening in the news cycle, we were thinking about stimulus packages. And what was going on the last time that um, the sun and Uranus came together? Okay, now it's coming to its full moon phase was this was around the 26th of April. Now, this was the the beginning of the pandemic and where they were thinking about relief and how to distribute resources to the people because they've experienced loss. So we have the sun casting awareness on what we have lost and how people are suffering, mourning through this loss. And we are trying to figure out how we are going to reunify them again, because this is a, the moon is in Venus's other temple. And how do we provide physical resources for those people? So we may see something coming to light about physical resources at this full moon. And in doing it in a very idealized universal way, a stimulus package potentially. Maybe it happens on Friday. Maybe it happens on Friday. Or moving into Saturday and we see the we see the result of it Monday when the moon escapes the bond uh, at you know Sunday night moving into Monday. Maybe that's one possible thing if I'm trying to use my creative mind to connect it with current events. Now there may be challenges with this. There may be you know the other thing to think about, if we think about the more traditional modern associations with, with Uranus, is there's this rebellion or resisting authority type of thing, this impatience or restlessness, something new wants to come to fruition. Okay, Now, think of, let's think about it, though, in, in Schmidt terms. If we have this universal ideal and we have this solar individualism that is manifesting here on the earthly plane, or trying to bring vitality to the earthly plane. We may have a conflict with Uranus opposite the sun between uh, our idealism and what we're actually able to provide with vitality from the the planetary sun, okay? So we may really be feeling some frustration over what we're able, able to manifest and what we want to manifest ideally With our resources, so and you know, one other one other little side note, just a little digression, is on the twenty sixth of April there was a Pentagon. The Pentagon released uh, a bunch of uh, UFO uh, documents and videos about their experiences with uh, unidentified flying objects. So. Maybe there may be something that comes out in regards to that, too. I know that there was also talk about an asteroid that was, could potentially hit uh, the planet around this time as well. Um, so maybe there is some sort of extraterrestrial object that we have contact with. Maybe it's that. Um, I don't think it's something to be overly concerned about. I don't think uh, scientists are saying that it's probably going to miss us, but who knows? um we'll see what happens <laughs> like but uh, interesting ways to think about that about the, the promethean gift of the gods the idealized um you know fire fire there is an ideal right fire is like this physical gift that is uh you know it gives us an ability to do many interesting things here on the physical plane but in the story of Prometheus, Prometheus was punished for that severely. He had to suffer for that. So there may also be themes of like, to bring uh, universal idealism down to the physical plane, there may be a level of suffering involved. Because we see the, um, the disparateness or the, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? we see the inability to have a, perf- a perfect manifestation of divinity on material form. It just doesn't work that way. Part of material form is its imperfection. And I think that's sometimes when, why rebellion is also associated with Uran- Uranus because somebody has, think about this and we'll do more research over, over time with this. If you have an ideal and you say, life should be like this, but what all I see on this physical material plane is the lack of that ideal. You're going to rise up and rebel and say, oh my God, I feel this anxiety about the lack of this spiritual ideal on this plane. And all of these revolutions and this rebellions are fueled by some kind of inspiration, and an attempt to manifest a spiritual ideal. And, and just like Prometheus suffers for it, a lot of times people suffer for it. A lot of times when people are trying to bring a gift to to the masses, to the, to the moon, to the lunar signification, there is suffering involved. Because a lot of times people want to keep staring at the shadows in the cave. And remember in the Plato's allegory of the cave, uh, or is it Aristotle? No, it's Plato. Yeah. Uh, Socrates. I don't know. They're one of those Greek philosophers. I'm second guessing myself now. Regardless, in the allegory of the cave, uh, you know, the, the, the prisoner that escapes is, is trying to tell the other prisoners, hey, this is this amazing divinity. It's this Uranian ideal. And he's punished for it they want they, they're like we don't want this we want to we're, we're happy with the shadows and he suffers for that he's p- tried to be pulled back down into that cave and this is that's the uranian energy it's the like that, that that idealization um it's the seeing seeing a glimpse that's why we associate genius and madness with uranus you can go mad and you because of your disappointment of not being able to manifest that Uranian ideal. I mean, also, you have also people that have have manifested amazing gifts to humanity. I believe Nikolai Tesla had some, some really intense Uranus contacts, and he gave the gift of electricity to the world. And it was because he had this idealism that he kept pursuing. So look at Uranus in your chart. Where do you have this? divinity this divine ideal that wants to manifest where do you maybe have a a, almost a divine discontent because it doesn't necessarily live up to what you're visualizing and how can you reconcile those two things i personally i have i have uranus in the fourth house and I was shown as a young person, uh, the lack, I guess, of a f- family ideal. Like I had a lot of uh, my parents went through a lot of marriages in their in their uh, early years, and I was shuttled around from different step parents and different homes. You know, as far as going back and forth between two parents, like one parent, like. Disappearing for a little while, and you know, going to live with a different parent, having siblings, step siblings come into my life and go out of my life, step parents come in and come out, and I think that that led to this idealization of what a family should be, and this divine discontent with the family I had. You know, when you experience hardship and separation, you you tend to have the fantasy. Of what it should be. So I don't this is this is this Schmidt thing shaking me to my core. I don't think Neptune is fantasy or idealization at all now based on Schmidt's model. It's Uranus. Uranus is the, the idealization planet of saying, can we aspire to something archetypal? Neptune's just dissolving all the the, the form back to the the substance that we create from it's emerging it's a blending it's like there is there's a lack of inspiration in neptune you know it's it's the it's the removing of inspiration almost i would say whereas uranus is the that's the ideal planet and Nept and pluto is the one that, that is the intermediary the the process the the process of of fecundity and fermentation The transformation between one and the other, there's a relationship between these three planets that is a constant dance. So a really interesting way to think about this, this full moon is, is where are you idealizing right now? Where do you have almost an unattainable ideal that you're willing to almost suffer for? And how is that conflicting with the real divinity that you can experience on this plane right now with the sun? And how do you manage to bring those back into harmony with Venus and Libra and, and Mercury and Libra? How can you bring what you desire on a deep spiritual level that you've raised to this level of archetypal with what is actually possible on this material plane? That, that I think is the real true story of this full moon. Okay, let's move forward to Sunday finish things out. Thanks for sticking with me again. I really appreciate all of you that take the time to listen to these forecasts. I put a lot of energy and effort into it, and I, I love getting those comments in the, in the comment section and interacting with all of you. It's, a, it's always, a, always a pleasure to, to see people um, receiving this information. So thank you for hitting that like button and, and giving those comments. That tells me that you've received the message, and it makes me feel good. On Sunday, the 1st of November, we will be continuing the full moon phase in Taurus. And remember, daylight savings starts at 2 a.m. on or starts. Daylight savings ends on Sunday at 2 a.m. Eastern time. So we are moving from this is one mistake that a lot of astrologers make when they list uh, times and. Right? really became aware of this from a really great astrologer, Samuel Reynolds. It was a pet peeve of his when people were listing EST instead of EDT. And I really started to to make sure I was doing it correctly after I heard him pointing that out. So we're moving from Eastern Daylight Time to Eastern Standard Time, or Mountain Daylight Time to Mountain Standard Time, or Pacific Daylight Time to Pacific Standard Time. I really hate this time change. I really wish they would do away with it completely because it throws off all the circadian rhythms and stuff like that. And it's it's a something that we've brought with us from a, a former time in society where we were trying to conserve, you know, whale oil for our lamps and things like that, and you know, have more ability to work in the fields and things that really aren't part of our society as much anymore. But anyway, set your clocks. I believe forward <laughs> like, anyway, do your research on which way you're going to go. And uh, then you will be able to wake up on time, but remember the clocks will shift fall. Uh, you, what is it? Fall back spring. Yeah. Fall back spring forward. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I'm screw everybody up anyway. Uh, on Sunday the 1st we have a f- couple lunar aspects. The moon's going to sextile Neptune, it will trine Jupiter and it, so it'll sextile Neptune in the morning 5:30 a.m. and then it'll trine all of those capricorn planets, Jupiter, Pluto and Saturn respectively at 11 a.m., 2:14 p.m. and then 9:29 p.m. So it's going to make positive contacts with those capricorn planets that are really trying to get us to have an awareness of the how we are Administrating power within our lives as a collective entity as well. Um, at 6:29 p.m., the sun's gonna move into the second decan of Scorpio. And this decan is uh represented by the Six of Cups in the Rider weight Tarot. And this is Austin Kappa calls this uh an apparatus for mutual distillation. Book T in the book of Toth calls it pleasure. Um which is strange. That's a strange one. Um, it, there's a number of fixed stars in this decan, too. It's like there's no fixed, prominent fixed stars, really. There's a couple that are a little bit less um, prominent in our astrological magnitude and and in the, the tradition in the first decan, but we've got like four that have been used a lot in the second decan. At 12 degrees, we have Acrux, which is part of the Southern Cross. We have Alfeca uh, at 12 degrees also, which is part of uh, one of the crowns. Um, and then at 15 degrees, we have Zubin El janubi which is one of the claws in the scorpion, or the one of the scales, I think, that did double duty at one point. Um, and then at 19 degrees, Zubin El shamali So in this, in this particular decade, we have an awareness of the deep emotional exchanges that we have, uh, that we are trying to um, the hunger that we experienced because Austin Coburg talks a lot about hunger in the first decade of Scorpio, it finds a, a, you know a mate, something to to suck energy off of, right? Now a lot of tarot significations talk about nostalgia in this card, so potentially, if we carry it out here, and I, I'm thinking about these particular decans as how are we going to. The realization of desires that are no longer healthy for us. How can we separate those and separate the forms that are no longer good for us, or the desire for those physical forms, and then move towards more spiritual consciousness? And you can see this story play out in these three cards. We we first get introduced to the the concept of loss, and what happens when we think about loss? We have a feeling of mourning. But then we have this feeling of like nostalgia for what was in the past. And this is where we may be having memories of things that have already gone beyond. And we may be trying to recreate those, you know, on some level. So I think this decade is a lot about memory. It's a lot about uh, the past. It's a lot about like, you know, yearning for something that is uh, already, you know, outlived its time. And then in the third decade, we have to choose, you know, how are we going to let go of something and maybe choose a more spiritual path, right? Choose, let go of the old forms, the bad habits. And sometimes when we are um, going through this, you know, nostalgia phase, you know, this is the time where you break up with, think about it like this. You had a you had a relationship, you realized that it was toxic, and you break up. Now inevitably a lot of the times there is this period of time where you get back together because you're like oh I forgot about how bad it was maybe we need to get back together and and you know <laughs> I don't know have one last go around or something like that you idealize that relationship I'm watching Parks and Rec right now and think about Ron Swanson and his ex-wives he always gets back in you know together with one of the Tammies eventually and this is especially apparent with his wife Tammy too, ex-wife. She, they're when they get back together, they're always, um, well, they're always trying to have sex with each other. Like to to be blunt, but they are always exasperating. She she brings out the worst in him, right? She brings out that desire, that carnal desire. And it never ends up working out because it's based on, it was toxic. It was toxic carnality between the two of them. So you have to think about in this decade, you know, be careful not to idealize that which is already in the past. Be careful not to get back involved with a relationship that only brings out negativity within you. You have to think about this mutual distillation. Are those relationships really bringing you joy or are they bringing you uh, negativity? And then finally, as you move through the third decan, it's it's leaving those things behind finally and and going beyond it and moving towards back and returning to the hope that will happen in the next sign of Sagittarius, the return of confirmation, the return of unity to our spirit, to our spirituality. Okay. So let's think about this for one more second. The uh, the little deity we were talking about, um, the daimonic deity was Leto, who was the mother of Apollo and Artemis, the sun and the moon, respectively. So there is this intermingling of solar significations, the one mind with the one thing, with substance, with inspiration, with substance, with soul, with body. And, you know, Leto was the mother of those two things. And how are they moving back and forth between one another? Okay. Um, How are they informing one another? And there may be this wrestling between those two before you come to the awareness of what needs to stay and what needs to go in your fermentation process. Now, the last thing we'll talk about this week is there is a square that's happening between Mercury retrograde in, in Libra now and the in Saturn in in Capricorn at 9:29 p.m. and this is represented by the four of swords that that card of rest and the four of pentacles the 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 card of power um ren butler talks about pessimistic thinking working attempts to uh you know maintain that equilibrium right um We're going to have the moon escaping the bond around this time too, at 25 degrees of Taurus, pretty close to Algol. So be careful of that, I guess. Um, It's around seven o'clock and it will trine Saturn. So the moon is going to be showing us what we are deprived of or our limitations. And that may disturb our mental equilibrium a little bit. And we're going to have to try to bring that back into balance and question how we are bringing things into uh, peace, how we're bringing harmony back into our worlds. And we may be, you know, the lawyers in the cosmic courtroom, or think about it like this, the cosmic mind is having testimony from the lawyers right now about how we're going to, to bring balance and peace back into the situation of lack. And that may be a little confusing at first because Mercury is destabilizing that, that inner peace. So instead of getting thrown off your game, just observe the cosmic mind at this point. Observe the conversation that is manifesting through you, that is manifesting through the news, that is manifesting through the people in your life. And say, oh, look, there is Hermes giving a testimony to saturn right and saying all right i'm gonna see how we're gonna reestablish this equilibrium uh while the you know to the judge you know to to saturn who is going to also be involved with like like nemesis bringing things back into harmony potentially through punishment or potentially through giving what is due Saturn gives what is due. It's not always a punishment, I don't think. If you've earned something, if you've done the hard work, Saturn will reward you for that hard work. I really, I truly believe that it gives what is due. What have you earned through your actions? The sun, it is a, it is part of the solar sect. Okay. So, think about that as we experience the the Mercury Saturn square uh, on Sunday evening. All right, that's what we've got for this week. Looking ahead to next week on the 2nd of November through the 8th, Mercury is going to station direct on Tuesday, the 3rd of November at 25 degrees of, of Libra. Um, that's election day. So I hope that you're all going out there and voting or have voted already. If you haven't, please do. It's a, it's a, it's a gift that you've been given in this democratic process. It's the next event or next step that you can take towards creating some of your idealistic visions on this plane. And if, if we don't get what we want from that, then we'll take the next steps. But that is the one first step that you have in your power, in your ability right now to do, to create change and to get closer to your universal ideal. Even if the system itself is not where you want it to be, you have to take the one step. You have to take the one first step and voting is that. Uh, So we will also see a number of fixed star conjunctions. The the sun's going to conjoin the fixed star acrux at 12 degrees of Scorpio on Tuesday. Um, On Wednesday the 4th, the sun's going to conjoin Alfeca at at 12 degrees of Scorpio. And Venus will conjoin Diadem at 9 degrees of Libra. Thursday the 5th, Venus is going to move into the second decan of Libra. We'll break that down. Uh, And Venus will conjoin Vindamiatrix at 11 degrees of Libra. On Friday, the 6th, the sun will conjoin Zubin el-Janubi and Mercury will square Saturn once again in its direct phase. On Saturday, the 7th, Venus is going to conjoin Al-Gharab at 13 degrees of Libra. And then finally, on Sunday, the 8th, we'll experience the last quarter moon at 16 degrees of Leo and Scorpio, respectively. All right, everyone, that is what I have for you this week thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I really appreciate all of you. If you are really, if you're enjoying these, um, these podcasts, these forecasts, this information, these teachings, uh, please make sure you're subscribed uh, to the channel below or wherever you're, you're, uh, experiencing these SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, uh, YouTube would be a great place to subscribe. Um, click that like button, make sure you're commenting and, and, Uh, let's have a conversation about how the planets are affecting you Uh, if you want to support the work I'm doing materially which is always very appreciated there's donation links there's a paypal me link or you can reach out for a reading remember I'm offering a mercury retrograde reading right now at a discounted rate and that is a really fun reading that we could go and explore how Hermes wants to bring you some new realizations in your particular chart so that's what I've got for this week. I hope that you're all doing well and that you're maintaining your equilibrium and your center. Please remember to go vote if you can. Uh, it is super important for the fabric of our democracy moving forward. And be kind to one another. We are we are all one country in America here, and uh, we're a, U- a United States. Blue blue and red together make purple. So let's let's come together like Jupiter in his purple color, or like I don't know. Prince or something and party like it's 1999. Okay. Um, I'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.